Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond Podcast with Cincinnati host Stephen Brittingham. Experience meaningful and in-depth interviews with Hollywood's most interesting people. Enjoy the show. Hi, this is Carrie Genzel, actor, producer, creator, and writer of State of Slay. I invite you all to join me on my blog, stateofslay.com. Slay, in this case, being an acronym for self-love, appreciate you. As I talk about my journey from the darkness of depression to living in the light today and finding self-love and forgiveness for myself, it is a sense of community, a place of sharing, of love, and a place where we inspire and encourage one another. So come and join me and all the other Slayers at stateofslay.com. Slay on. You can receive all the latest episodes of Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham delivered to your favorite listening device by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever happens to be your favorite podcast listening service. Don't miss out. Tune in. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond Podcast. This is your host, actor and writer, Stephen Brittingham. As host, I strive for meaningful and in-depth interviews, not to mention fun and enjoyable. By avoiding gossip and tabloid approaches, I am able to focus instead on the artistic journeys of each guest. And... My extra special guest today is a lady who has many impressive accomplishments as an actress, theater, film, and television. She has truly experienced so much. Perhaps it is not such a surprise then that she went on to become a highly respected Hollywood acting coach. I can also add that she is indeed a cherished acting coach. Charles in Charge Cheers, Ellen, and Jag are all shows my guest has worked on as an actress, including her memorable role on ABC's General Hospital as Julia Barrett. Take a break. (laughs) Put down your shovels and picks for a minute. See, you can have the greatest product in the world. It still needs to be promoted. Somebody has to sell it. That's what I do, Mr. Eckert, while you're down in the trenches, as you so aptly put it look lady you're talking about image you're talking about style i'm talking about substance and product don't call me lady you're the plant manager what was my father thinking probably that he needed a hands-on productive partner he could trust don't you understand that doing business on an international scale demands finesse diplomacy and you might want to look this word up personality She even appeared on Dallas in another memorable role in a pivotal storyline that helped pave the way to an exciting cliffhanger. On a quest for revenge, Sue Ellen, portrayed brilliantly by Linda Gray, finances a film version of J.R. Ewing's life, portrayed by the unforgettable Larry Hagman, which includes many secrets from his personal and business life, My guest today portrayed the film version of this scenario of Sue Ellen during Linda's last season on Big D. Let me tell you, what a fantastic performance by my guest. Previously on Dallas. 
Basically, I think it's a Texas version of Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane? Well, at least you're aiming high, hmm? My protagonist is from the same mold. If he took, he took everyone he trampled on to get to where he is today, they would reach from one end of Texas to the other. But is your character as interesting? Believe me, even Charles Foster Kane would have a hard time keeping up with my hero. You know, I'm the executive producer of our first movie also. Bruce Harvey's producer, and Don Lockwood wrote and directed it. Well, now, you're not going to show it to me now, sweetheart. I just don't have time. Come on. Yes, you do. See, this is just a, uh, a rough cut. There's no sound effects or music. Yeah, I, I really don't have time. No, J.R., you do now. You just sit down, get comfortable, put your head down. I guarantee you, you won't be able to keep your eyes off the screen. Just where do you think you're going, darling? I'm leaving you. You've been hitting the bottle again? I'm cold sober. I have been for a year and you know it. You walk out of here and you'll be in the gutter in less than a week. I've watched you cheat your brothers and cheat your friends and I've heard about the tramps you've slept with and I've stayed sober through it all. Imagine what I can do without you. Goodbye, my loving husband, and good riddance. Her name is Crystal Carson. What makes Crystal such a wonderful coach for actors is her connection to their vulnerability, empathy, and emotions that an actor must embrace to bring a character to life. Los Angeles, Hollywood, Atlanta, and even Vietnam. Crystal enriches actors wherever she may be. Welcome to the show, Crystal Carson. Thank you so much, Stephen. Wow. I can't wait to hear your guest. Oh, wait. That was quite an introduction. <laughs> I hope I live up to it. Well, you, I, uh, you already have, in fact, and you're continuing to do wonderful things. Wow, such a pleasure and honor for me to be uh, speaking with you uh, and to have you as a guest today. So let me just say up front, thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I, I am equally interested about your acting career and, and most definitely your uh, experience as an acting coach. However, I thought I would start with a question that's been weighing on my mind. And, okay. and, and it might have to do with somewhere in the middle, Crystal, of, of what I just mentioned. And that is, you know, when, did, when and why did you make the decision to transcend from actress to acting coach? I've always loved teaching. My mother used to say to me, uh, you're going to grow up to be a teacher. And that was the day I decided I wasn't going to be a teacher because I was in defiance of her. And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as I found myself pregnant, let's just say that, I had left General Hospital and uh, wanted to experience being a I was a bit of an older mom uh, compared to all of my cousins who got married and, at 19 and had kids by 20. So I really wanted, I knew we were only going to have one, and I really wanted to experience all of that. Um, 
but I then found myself lacking that creativity, but not wanting to have to figure out who would take care of her at a moment's notice. So I could, because at the time we weren't putting ourselves on tape for auditions, we were having to go in and I had to have time to work on the piece and to get my hair and makeup together and to drive over there. And then there's callbacks and, you know, my life as an actress was always on the go. I practically lived out of my car and I couldn't, I knew I couldn't do that with a child. So, um, my friend Margie Haber um, and Kyle Fitz, Fritz, her, her assistant, both suggested that maybe I could teach class there um, because on the set, I was always coaching actors and helping them, and they both knew that. And so immediately I just started coaching from there. And uh, on the movies and things that I had done, I had worked with so many actors who said, hey, I hear you're, you could coach. Could you coach me on this scene? Just uh, like that, so that when I put something out that I was going to hang up that shingle and people could come to me and I could be with my child and just schedule around those people and, you know, look like hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, didn't have to take any extra time other than just to, you know, look at their sides and stuff and prepare. Um, right away, I got hired by Fox. Uh, studio to come and be the onset coach for one of the actors that I had been working with. And they gave me my own dressing room and, and uh, so that I could have my baby with me. And um, they allowed drive-ons for all of my other clients so that they could come and I could coach them from there while I was still working on the show. And it was such a nice paycheck and uh, creative thing to do while not having to go away from nursing and all the things that I wanted to do. And I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the actors. And I realized that as an actress, there was something I particularly wanted to see on television. And that is people's vulnerability. Um, the truth of the character, that honest reaction, and all of the baggage that these characters had. Um, I didn't want to watch actors pretend they were angry or pretend they were hurt or pretend they had baggage. I wanted to watch. And, and what I love about acting is that ability to let people who are in the audience know that the person they're watching gets it. I wanted to be gotten as an audience member. And when I coached actors, the way I was approaching it, they were like, Oh, that's not what I normally do. I normally memorize my lines and then imagine how the character would probably say them and then do my best to say them that way in a very natural way. And I'm like, oh, that's horrible. <laughs> Don't do that. And uh, they were like, what? So I was explaining to them the way I was working and, and immediately, a lot of these actors were working actors, but they immediately went from uh, guest stars to recurring, you know, or from recurring to series regulars. And I was, you know, I got to work with a lot of lovely working actors and saw that this technique worked and worked well. Um, so I thought to myself, I can make a bigger difference in the world teaching actors to work this way than I can if I'm the only, not only one, but if I'm working that way solo, the difference I make is much smaller. My footprint is much smaller. And I was really um, called to have a life where I could be with my daughter and at the same time 
make a difference in the world. Um, and, and I know that sounds crazy, like acting coach making a difference in the world. But again, even Hallmark commercials make people feel not alone. You know, when you recognize that you've gone off to college and you miss your mom and then you see mm-hmm. an I'm missing you commercial or whatever, yes. you know, you go, I'm not in this alone. I'm not the only one who feels broken. And I think the characters that writers like to write about and that audiences like to watch are those broken characters. They're not these perfect people that always know what to say and are all put together and nothing really affects them. They're disasters. They're broken. They've got baggage from the past that's uh, triggering them now and affecting them. And they're hurt and they're trying and they're failing and they're trying some more, which is why we find them heroic. And in watching those people, we're inspired and we feel gotten and and like, okay, I feel like I'm a mess, but, you know, whoever played that role, they must be a mess on some level too because they got me. And whoever wrote it, well, they got me too. And whoever decided to direct it and, you know, got how it should go and whoever decided to produce it and put money behind it must have thought that there's enough people who are a mess just like that character that people would want to tune in and see that. And suddenly that makes me feel like, wow, I must be part of a pretty big family of people. Maybe I'm just a human being. Like maybe I'm okay and not less than like I thought I was. And I think that's a great message. And so that's why I'm a coach. The long version, I guess. (laughs) Well, what a beautiful and interesting answer. So thank you for sharing all that with me. I have a big smile on my face, Crystal, because um, I enjoyed your answer so much. And uh, uh, creating a character is something that I just uh, think of so much and so often. And and that's one of the reasons why I loved all that you just had to say. Um, I tell you what, I would like to add with what you just mentioned so well. I've often told people that, as far as I'm concerned, being an actor is one of the um, most uh, 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 greatest and uh, honorable professions that a person mm-hmm. can have. And I tell them it's not because of a sense of entitlement or, or that you're better than anybody. No, no, it's what you just described, Crystal, making mm-hmm. people feel things and entertain them, but also inform them and inspire them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We, you know what's beautiful, and can I piggyback more on what you just said? Absolutely. What's beautiful about the opportunity to go watch actors work is, and this is true in film and television and stage plays, but I'm just going to say camera. So I'll refer to let's say film. Um, If you and I, let's say are in a argument because most, most of our scenes that we write about, there's conflict in them. So I'm, I'll call it a, a conflicted um, conversation. Let's call it that, not an argument because that goes too far. But if we both have a point of view and we're trying to win the other person over, I'm not 100% listening to you. I'm hearing what you're saying, but in my mind, I'm evaluating how I can bring you over to what I'm saying, darn it. And I'm anticipating where your sentence might be going so that by the time you get there, I've already thought of several things that I can respond with and, and chosen the best one. Because I'm trying to win this this conflict we're having. And so, uh, 
So here we are, we're talking, and you want me to pay for dinner, and I think it's your turn to pay for dinner, and we're both talking about it, and I'm coming up with all the reasons and all the times in the past I've paid for it and all the things that I can think of, like wow, how you you always pick a more expensive restaurant when you think that I'm going to pay, or you order the most expensive thing, so that's not even fair because, look, I just had coffee. I'm going through this as I'm listening to your side of it and deciding what I'm going to do. So I might be a little self-absorbed, and I might be a little angry at you, and I might miss those little flickers of thoughts going by your mind that had I seen them, I would realize you feel bad about asking for this. Maybe you just lost your job. Maybe you're broke. Or maybe you just feel like um, you want me to acknowledge how much you've done for me in the past, whether or not I pay for this. I'm not picking up that stuff because I'm so busy contemplating my argument and looking for an in where I can start talking again so I can beat whatever point you just made. But those sitting in the audience, those on the other side of the camera, they don't have anything at stake, but they do vibrate and recognize their lives in this same argument. It may be that they were not you know, obviously they are not us and it may not be directly what we're talking about eating at a restaurant, but it may be like, I always take care of the baby and you never pitch in, or I always clean the house and you haven't cleaned the house in a long time. It's that, you know, parallel lives are going to pop up in their mind. And the thing is, is when they're in their fight with their roommate or their boyfriend or their husband, they're just like you and me. They're caught up in their world trying to come up with how can I win this argument and thinking of all the things in the past and all what it's going to mean about the future uh, and, and coming up with um, what I'm going to say back, what my retorts will be while I'm half listening to what you're saying enough to catch my best response out of my head to whatever you said. Well, but that is the a audience, wonderful description. Uh, please continue. So the person in the audience can watch it and go, yeah, Crystal, I know what you mean by that. Yeah. But then they're not me. They are just as invested in your character. So when your character pops up, they go, they remember all the times where they put, put, felt put upon or, or that the other person didn't appreciate them. Enough. And they go, yeah, Steven, yeah, I get that too. And, and I have an affinity, or I wouldn't be watching this show, for most of the characters on it and for the plot and for the storyline and the way that this story is told. So I'm open to both characters, and I have nothing at stake. I'm not trying to come up with arguments. I'm not trying to come up with retorts or, or worried about the future or the past very much. I'm mostly watching them do it. And so that little heartbeat skip that you had that Crystal missed, the camera catches, and the audience member goes, oh, wow, he feels bad. Oh, wow. And they start to ponder. Maybe he spent his father's fortune. Maybe what, you know, they start to wonder about plot line or what's going on. But a part of them is going back. Can't help it. The mind does this all on its own. We relate to things. It's going back to its conversation with their husband or their boyfriend or their roommate and going, I wonder if they felt bad. I wonder what was going on with them. I wonder, 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 wonder. Maybe, maybe they are in pain. And the cool thing about that is, is they don't fully recognize in the full consciousness that they're even thinking those things. 
But the next time they see that person, they have a little more empathy and they think they did that. They think, oh, wow, I just had a thought of empathy right now for this person. And then there's an apology and then it happens. They think, wow, I'm a good person. I did that today. I really, I came to something. I'm glad I'm growing or I'm glad I put my, you know, my heart out a little bit and, and had some vulnerability because they came back with that too. And now we've grown what big people we are, what good people we are. Really, where did that start? It started in the theater that day. It started because of an empathy for two sides of an argument. And when you move that into race or you move that into culture differences or you move that into whatever the conflict might be, there's such an opening for all these people who show up to see a movie and they don't have any defenses up. When you go to see a movie, you don't think, oh, wow. You know, I'm going to be taught a whole bunch of lessons here today. Well, they're wrong. I'm right. You know, I've lived my life this way and these are my thoughts about it and I'm hanging on to them. You go, hey, I'm here to see a story. I'm going to sit back and soften my belly and open my heart and just enjoy. I'm open. And it seeps in this empathy for other people. As long as the actors that are playing those people are really having the real thoughts that cause the real feelings. If they're manipulating it, if they're faking it, if they're pretending that they're in the situation, but not, you know, and, and responding as if they thought they would respond if they were in that situation, then we've got nothing. We've got, it becomes very um, intellectual and people can learn from it, like didactic, like learn in their head. But that whole thing that I was just describing, the subconscious and, and in the heart does not happen. And it's important to me, and I think important to the world, that it does happen. And those are the people, those are the actors that win Emmys, because they do make such a difference. And people may not be able to put into words why they love this movie or why they love this character, but it made a difference in their thought processes going forward that they aligned with to the point where they thought they did that. Like, like they thought they came to terms with something Um and they did, but you started it. And I, I make the differentiation because there isn't, and I think you were pointing to this, there isn't a more powerful job on the planet than being an actor because we reach every corner of the world. You can be sitting in a cave in Afghanistan and get, you know, Dynasty on TV or Dallas, <laughs> my favorite. Um, <laughs> you know, because of the internet and all of those things. It's everywhere. It's invasive. And there isn't a president or a preacher or a teacher or a parent who can reach that many people or, or even be listened to by, as well by the people that they do reach. Because if there's a conflict... And this authority figure is standing there saying, this is how you need to behave. We need to love one another. You need to uh, uh, love people who make more money than you. You need to, um, whatever, love uh, a different race than you are. You need to, you know, whatever it is, people with disabilities, you need to not see them that you can stand there and teach people to tr talk about loving people and you can do it with brilliant arguments and pictures and, but you won't move people until there's story involved. 
And there isn't a more powerful story than one that's performed, than one that's played out. Uh, a spoken story isn't the same. Uh, it's powerful, but not the same. So when looked at that way, and, and particularly if you know you're going to go hear some authority figure, you're already, you know, really ensconcing yourself with your own righteousness and your own point of view so that there's more uh, difficulty for that authority figure to make points with you because you're not hearing them. As I said, you're in conflict. So you're buzzing and thinking of all the reasons they're wrong and you're right and what you could say if you could only talk to them, even if you're just listening to their lecture, how they're wrong and how you're going to talk to your family or your coworkers later and point out how wrong. You're not open and you're not experiencing them as if you were them, which is like you do in the movies. My husband always said, when I walk out of a movie, if I watch a, a, a cowboy film, I walk out bull-legged. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we all do that, right? We all cry at the movies. We laugh with mm -hmm. the characters and feel what they're feeling. And in doing that, we change people's minds. And we change them toward love. And, and uh, we let them see pain in other people. We let them see. I think that's why some actors like um, Sean Penn, who played Dead Man Walking to, to do a throwback for you. Um, he won so many accolades because we're used to seeing somebody on death row as being played as evil. And he played him as a man. And so as you understood his pain and his past, he started to go, wow, I am relating to the humanity in this person. How can that be? They murdered people. They were bad. They were their right to be put to death. How can I see like, wow, there, but for the grace of God, go I. How can that be? And so it opened minds. It opened hearts. It changed people. Maybe not a hundred percent. They weren't ready to go and say, let's, you know, <laughs> let's put everybody on death row into rehab situations and love them up until they can change. But there was an opening and that's mm. powerful. It most certainly is. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you. Another thing that I was uh, thinking of as I was listening to your outstanding descriptions is that I have often told people that anybody just about can pretend, but not everybody can act. And right. I back that up with everything that you just described. Perfect. This is why I'm on the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's sure. Because we get each other. We get each other. So your audience is already in tune with what I'm going to say. That thrills me. And you know what? One of the exciting things about this show, once again, I'm trying to be unique, uh, uh, is that my show was intended to be for fans of a guest, mm -hmm. right? Viewers of maybe a project that they really enjoy, or if they're seniors, maybe their music. But the other part is folks in the industry. It's like both mm -hmm. sides can listen. And I'm so grateful that my vision is coming to fruition like that. Well done. Well, thank you. And I must add, Crystal, that I often leave the cinema. I'll tell you what. Well, I don't know if I walk funny, but I will tell you this. Um, as soon as I step outside, I, what I just experienced, this happens to me every time, Crystal. I, I'm not exaggerating. I am instantly thinking just about life. 
Like whatever it is, mm-hmm. it, it is, mm-hmm. is that artistic experience transcends as I'm walking out of the, the, the cinema and I'm like, wow. Uh, this is just so wonderful that I, I, I'm able to think new thoughts or mm-hmm. uh, experience something emotional or even just something fun, whatever it is. I just love that feeling. Yeah, and you do it more consciously. And I think that, to you know, it's a spectrum of consciousness about that. But I think everyone does it, just some yes. of us more consciously. Well, Crystal, um, hey, let's go back just a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Where are you from, for those that may not be aware? I'm from Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> Nebraska. How I'm cool. I'm a Midwestern girl. Well, I'm from uh, actually Dayton, Ohio, but I'm here in Cincinnati, which mm-hmm. uh, I consider a part of my hometown because the two cities are so close to each other. But wow, mm-hmm. Nebraska. So <laughs> um, I don't know if I know too many folks that are from Nebraska. So that's very yeah. uh, exciting. Well, how yeah, go I mean, Fred. we're Cornhuskers there. That's right. Now, I'm wondering, um, is this where your interest in acting first developed? Was it like uh, school theater productions or something along those lines? Mm, Yes. My father died when I was seven, and my mother took over his business running the Omaha World Herald out of Lincoln. And so it was a lot of work. She brought the office into our house. And so my job became, as the eldest child to get my brothers and sisters ready for school and to make sure they've had uh, breakfast. And um, at seven years old, I had a lot of responsibility and a lot of work. And when I got home from school, I was to rush home. Um, Well, before school, I had my paper out. And then after school, I had to rush home and take over the phone for her, for my mom, so that she could deal with getting papers to counselors and all this other stuff she had to do, getting out invoices, and I don't know what all she did. And then when we closed the phones down at six o'clock, I made dinner. I was, you know, then I did my homework. Then I helped my brothers and sisters do their homework and uh, started all over the next morning. And I never got to play very much. So when my kindergarten, first grade, first grade teacher said to me, do you want to, I heard, do you want to (laughs) play? I heard, I missed the B and A or whatever she's, you know, do you want to be in a play? I thought we were going to go play. And I'm like, Play? Yes. I'm down. <laughs> Where? <laughs> I see. So she, uh, I told her I didn't think my mom would let me. And she um, reached out to my mother. It turned out my mother was a fan of the theater, who knew, and thought it would be just wonderfully educational for me and let me get out of a whole bunch of work. She hired my neighbor instead. And I became piglet in our school, elementary school play of Winnie the Pooh. So as soon as that looked like it might be over, I was real quick to find out where I could do more plays to avoid work. <laughs> and so I got in <laughs> with the Lincoln Community Playhouse. And I have to tell you a funny little story. If you have yes, time. please. Um, Go right ahead. Well, this teacher was terrific. This, you know, first grade teacher uh, really believed in not giving line readings. But she would ask me, how does it feel that Pooh takes all the honey and you're a little pig, you know, like pigs are hungry. And how does it feel that he's your best friend? Why do you like a bear instead of another pig? Just brilliant questions for someone playing piglet. And I just thought that was so fascinating and what a great thing to contemplate. And I I love playing pretend anyway, and just getting into the history of it. Well, when I got to the Lincoln community playhouse, 
um, they charged for us to take the classes. So at the end, there was a little performance. And I think that teacher director felt that it was important that we look good more than that we learned something <laughs> so oh, that my. our parents would, you know, put us in the next class. Yes. Again. yes. So she would tell me, you know, this is how Mary should say that. Don't hit that word, hit this word, and then come up at the end of this because uh, you really want to get excited. And I was like, well, but what about, shouldn't you ask me why Mary's excited? And what is it about this other person's birthday that I'm so excited for them? Like, shouldn't we? And I was asking these questions to the other kids and she thought I was like disruptive and taking too long. But what she said to me was, Crystal, if you think you're so good at directing and teaching acting, why don't you start your own class here? Well, I was so excited that she saw that in me. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. That I went straight up to the box office and I told them, Miss Nanette thought I should have my own class. And it happened to be that some of the parents were picking up their kids about then. And as they were walking out with their kids, I said, do you want to be in my class? Well, our school got out at 3.15 and class didn't start till 4.30 and so these parents had a problem. They wanted to pick up their kids after school, but what were they supposed to do with them? So they were dropping them at the library, and then you know, they have to walk across the street, and they didn't like it. And they said, what time is your class? I said, oh, it's at 3.30, right before Miss Manette's class, and then we'll go into hers. And the box office lady kind of smiled at me, because I knew I was sitting around at that time. And they said, really? She teaches a class? And they said, are you signing up? And lo and behold... <laughs> <laughs> at about, I think I was probably nine at that time. I taught a little class right before Miss Nanette's class. They gave me space, and I think they charged a couple bucks for it. I didn't get paid, but um, <laughs> but it was seen as an after-school, you know, whatever, place to keep your kids before Miss Nanette's class. And I, I, it wasn't until years later uh, when I was honored after coming off of General Hospital and I got the key to the city uh, in Lincoln one time uh, at the centennial, I think it was the bicentennial. Anyway, that's where I finally learned from the box office lady that Miss <laughs> was not complimenting me that day. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> it suddenly took a whole new turn in my memory. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Wow, what a great story. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, that's Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> well, when did the, the decision and the time come where you were like, um, you know, I'm going to move uh, further west to to Los Angeles? How did that all come about for you? Um, while I was in college, Terms of Endearment came, and I had a small part in that that ended up cut on the cutting room floor. But that's when I suddenly realized that I should be heading to Hollywood and not New York. Up until then, I'd always thought, you know, Broadway, Broadway, that's just the way we were back then. Theater was, you know, the stage was everything, and that's just the way we thought. Yes. And it's suddenly like I woke up and went, oh, wow, yeah, I prefer to be in film and television, actually. What am I doing? And um, there was this, in in the Midwest, when you audition for repertory theater or summer stock um, or to go to grad school, they have these things called ERTAs, regional theater, uh, what is it, university, ERTAs, university and regional theater auditions, because they can't go to every little town or every little state 
they oh, would okay. have yeah so there'd be auditions where say 500 shows um agents tv shows uh, plays broadway off broadway traveling companies touring uh would all come and they, so you would go on stage and you would do a three-minute monologue of something contemporary, usually a comedy, and then a three-minute monologue if you wanted to do something uh, classic, like Shakespeare or Moliere or something, if you were interested in those kind of plays. And you'd do a, a little song and a little dance. Uh, you'd sing a song later, I think you had to come back, and then, then they had, if you passed that, then you went and did the dance thing. and They gave you a routine, and you had to do it, and they taught it to you right then. You know, just like you see when people audition for musical theaters. So you would do that in front of a crowd on a stage and all of those people were looking for whatever they were trying, whatever seats they had to fill, whether it was a certain role in their theater company or whether it was a spot at a grad school with a scholarship or, you know, Juilliard was there. Everybody was there. And I was there performing and, um, one of the people who called me back it turned out to be a, a Hollywood agent. And they said, we're looking for the trained professional, somebody who's trained in college and um, a boy and a girl. And we're going to bring you both out and give you a week in Hollywood and a lot of auditions in that week and then see what happens. So uh, I got chosen to be the girl and it turned out that the guy, uh, I had done summer stock with him in Iowa the year before, or my mother wouldn't have let me go because she was sure this whole thing was a scam and I was going to be sold into white slavery. But that's oh um, <laughs> what she said. <laughs> uh, and, like, you know, people in Nebraska don't leave Nebraska very often. So we get we get as far as Colorado, and then that's the end of the world. I so my see. mom's like, what? Hollywood, California. <laughs> it's but like it another really planet, like, isn't it? Another world. Yeah. Yeah, completely, yes. <laughs> so I was brought out and put up at a very nice hotel, and so was he, and I was given a driver, a woman driver, and a white Cadillac. He had a male driver and a black Cadillac, and we went to probably five auditions a day for five days in a row, and I booked a movie called Who's That Girl with Madonna yes. in that time. And so I was signed by the agent, and I got a manager right after that, and that's, that's how I got brought out. Wow. So when you first arrived out there, did you feel at home? Like, I mean, did you, are you one of those people that like just instantly fell in love with LA or did you have a lot of homesickness going on that you had to sort through first? Well, um, I was doing what I loved and I was, I didn't care if I was doing it in New York or LA as long as I was getting film and television auditions, you know, little characters that I could bring to life. I never saw the audition really as anything other than a performance um, or a little slice of life. I didn't see it as trying to get something. Um, I was given it. And five times a day, it was so much fun. Um, and I was, it was just, I don't know, it was like going to Disneyland, I imagine. So um, I see. that first week, I definitely was not homesick at all. And then uh, Who's That Girl was shot in New York. So I was flown to New York almost instantly. And on the set, actually, that's funny that you say that. Um, on the set, I guess it all caught up to me because I had a panic attack. And I never had a panic attack in my whole life. I didn't know what it was. I thought, I thought someone had put heroin in my food. I really did. And I was freaked out. And the production, I, I hyperventilated until I 
fainted. And oh, I remember wow. Madonna tell, uh, putting me in a limo with her and having her driver take me to her doctor. And we both got B12 shots. She, like, at the time was getting B12 shots. And I, the whole thing was so crazy. Like, somebody giving me an injection, and I'm sitting in a limo with Madonna, and I, I just went to L.A., and now I'm in New York, and my... I hadn't eaten right and uh, probably hadn't had enough hydration and my sleep schedule was all screwed up. It was such a whirlwind. You're right. I did kind of have a, they kind of did hit me. (laughs) Just all of a sudden. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. While you're on the set with Madonna. (laughs) Boom. Done. Yeah. And then I was okay after that. We went, got my feet back on the ground in LA and, you know, LA reminded me of Nebraska. That may sound crazy, but I, why do you say um, that? (laughs) Well, Nebraska is big and flat with a big sky and LA has the lower buildings. And so it's kind of big and flat. And in Nebraska, my family is from a little town of about 500, 600 people called Spalding. When I would go to Spalding with my mom and my brothers, sisters, when we would leave, we would read about ourselves in the newspaper in the little town, it, it, because we came in from Lincoln, the capital city, you know, and it would say <laughs> that we came and it would say where we went and what we ate. It would describe the clothes we wore and why we were in town. And everybody, when I would get there, like I said, it's about 500, 600 people. I didn't know those people, but they could look at me and knew who I was related to because I looked just apparently like my parents and they all grew up in that town and everybody knows everybody everybody's related to everybody <laughs> so they knew the ins and outs of everything about me people would say hello to me or and i didn't know who they were oh, so when i got on the soap or whatever here it felt like home it felt like of course these people know me i don't know them but i will treat them as family because i know they are and and really in la they're your fans which is sort of like your family and uh it, people would ask me, you know, is being on a soap or having a little more fame, is that strange? I'm like, no, it felt like going home. It's perfect. Crystal, I have to tell you, that is just it's so interesting to me. First of all, what another wonderful description by you. Thank um, you. I, I'm still smiling, just so you know. I know, <laughs> I know you can't see me at the moment. But I have to tell you, this is so interesting to me. I, I really don't think I've really told anybody this. When I first moved to L.A., um, I have to tell you, I was very excited like you. Like I, I had the same mindset. I, I just can't mm-hmm. wait to get started. But it reminded me, certain areas, of course, of mm-hmm. Cincinnati. And I say that because Cincinnati has a lot of trees. A lot of people uh-huh. may not realize this. There's all kinds of trees. And as you know, Crystal, other than palm trees, which right. folks may be shocked out there to realize there's actually other trees in Los Angeles. <laughs> and I went through different neighborhoods and I was like, wow, this kind of has a little bit of a, just a little bit of a Midwest touch to it. And yeah. I always thought that was very interesting to, to, to have that reaction. Yeah, and there isn't the big tall buildings like big cities and stuff. It does feel very Midwestern. Yes. You know, for a big city, it can be like a small town, I'll tell you. Yeah, like New York is clearly a big city, and people are just stacked on top of each other. But L.A. is like a bunch of little towns all tied together. Well, absolutely. And before I ask you a question about one of your television work, Crystal, I thought just thought I'd share with you just very briefly that um, I had a, a new friend in Hollywood that 
It took me up to uh, this park where I got to look down all over Hollywood. And, and mm. in the distance was, I believe, downtown Los Angeles or another portion mm-hmm. of L.A. And it was mm-hmm. at night. So you can imagine what that's like. And mm. I have to tell you, I felt like the ghosts and spirits from yesterday, thinking of all the people that made magic in this town. Uh, mm-hmm. It just gave me it, – it's a view and a moment I've never forgotten. So I just thought mm. I would share that with you. I so know what you're talking about. Yep, <laughs> I do. Well, let's see. I noticed that you appeared on some very um, high-profile profile shows. So I just thought I'd see if there's a story there or anything you wanted to share. And one of them was Cheers. Oh, Cheers. <laughs> that was a fun one. <laughs> I, oh, great. Uh, went to the audition and immediately was asked to go uh, across the hall to... Um, to wardrobe and i'm like what because <laughs> like they they were like yeah we need to we need this to shoot like tomorrow so we've got to go so i that was really cool to oh, book wow. something that quickly and just go and like they knew they wanted me for it and it was a recurring role so that was really awesome and the <laughs> first thing that happened after i uh, the next morning when i went to set i think it was the next morning that i went to set was I could hear this voice running up behind me, these feet, boom, 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 and oh, this woman's voice. (laughs) And all of a sudden, this whoosh went past me, but it grabbed my hand and my arm, and I was yanked along, and I could hear, a girl to have to share bagels with, a girl to share bagels with, and that was Kirstie Alley (laughs) wanting a girl to share bagels with. (laughs) Wow. Hey. I'm the only girl on this set, and... Uh, yeah, nobody else put a bagel with me. <laughs> hey, and maybe some free beer at the bar, right? <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was supposed to be a bigger role than it ended up being. Uh, some, I forget what happened. We went away to Christmas, and the character was supposed to have four more episodes when we got back. And I think the guy playing my boyfriend, who was also playing Kirstie Alley's boyfriend, got another, a better job and, and requested to be let go. And suddenly the oh story went to an end, which was a bummer because I spent yes. a whole bunch of money on that Christmas thinking that I had a bunch more coming <laughs> oh, in. Oh, no. So, uh, note, to, uh, note to those of you out there in acting, don't count on anything. You know, be smart with your money. <laughs> well, very good everybody. advice. Very yeah. good advice. Well, thanks for sharing that. What a fun story. Um, and what about Charles in Charge? Any interesting story there? Well, I have double-jointed arms, and they're, I wish I could show you. They're quite, quite double-jointed. And so I had reached for uh, my script, uh, or actually I think with a highlighter pen, and it was on the other side of Scott Baio, and my arm, I just kind of twisted it around backwards to grab the highlighter pen and then brought it back and started working. And then I noticed that the room got quiet (laughs) (laughs) and I looked up and Scott is staring at me. And so was everybody around him. And he goes, what did you just do? Your arms are on backwards. And I go, Oh, I'm double jointed. And I, 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 it's better if you can see it, but I do this thing where it looks like my arm is broken and I let it dangle. <laughs> and oh he lost my. his mind. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Um, wow. They, uh, 
<laughs> that was all set up that that Charles in charge was set up to be a spinoff uh, called at the car wash. And it was oh. for um, Ellen Travolta who played uh, his aunt, Scott, you know, what is it? Chachi's Chachi. Is that right? His I, aunt, I think that's um, right. That sounds right to me. I think that might be right. And anyway, so he, they were doing a spinoff and, in that moment, I guess they decided I should be part of the spinoff. So it became an amazing opportunity. It wasn't just that, but uh, it, it, that that ingratiated me a little more, I think. And anyway, slowly I I earned a role um, on a new show, and just about had my career take off. And then the showrunner had a heart attack and died, and the oh. spinoff went with him. I so. See. The ups and downs. The ups and downs. Going, yeah, you think you're going to do a you know a co-star on a thing, and the next thing you know, you're signing a contract for hundreds of thousand dollars an episode, or not hundreds of thousand dollars an episode, but over a year time, and uh, and then it blows up again. So, yeah. Expect the unexpected. I think that's th- that's a Always. good idea. Well, but uh, every time I see Scott Bale, he will go the girl with the arms. Oh, that that is so awesome! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh my goodness, well, I really appreciate you sharing these stories so much. Uh, Thank very, you. Uh, really enjoyable, and I mean, you're just such a skilled and talented actress, and uh, uh-uh. I just can't uh, emphasize that enough. I, I will say that I like how you. I, I like the. The choices you make as an actress, and when I watch you, Crystal, the more I watch you, uh, I, I, it's like I like how you've made decisions, and and that you really Ooh. seem to know your character. I mean, the character may be on a journey, but you, Crystal, the actress, you really have made some decisions, and you're always interesting, and of course, quite the uh, beauty as well, and all of uh-huh. that adds to be uh, a fantastic actress. So. You're going to become my new publicist. <laughs> well, hey, just let me know. Uh, I'm a man of many hats. So, Well, you know, Crystal, I don't think it's a surprise to you. Uh, I'm a huge Dallas fan, and it had a big mm. impact on me, not only as a fan, but a- a- it was one of the reasons I wanted to get into acting. And, and that is because... I thought these people were having so much fun. And then it, it oh, just so broadened my mind and imagination in so many ways. And I did a Dallas 40th anniversary celebration here on the show. And now to have you, who I, you know, your time on Dallas is still very memorable because you were a part of that storyline I described in, for your introduction. You. And wow, you get to portray the film version of, of uh, Sue Ellen. No Sue Ellen. So I have yeah. to ask you, what was the audition process like for that? Um, I remember watching, because the scene I played was based on a, a scene that she did that was very similar. The lines were yes. a little bit different and stuff. But I remember that's going right. back and learning to add a little breathiness to my voice because <laughs> that's what she had done in the scene. And a little more of a southern accent, J.R. And uh, just coming in and really trying to, once I decided on her voice and her way of walking, and I, I don't remember now what that way of walking is, but recently, this is so funny, recently I stumbled upon the scene that was the real scene that she did that I used to practice with and learn about. And when she, when I watched the scene, I thought it was me. I thought it was the scene I did. 
for just a moment because of the way she moved and walked and sounded. And then I went, oh, my God, that's really Linda. I really did a good job. <laughs> or else I just naturally move like her or she moves like me or something. But I remember I, I, I was shocked at um, Very surreal how, how much for she looked like me. Yeah. And yes. I, I, I don't know. Anyway. Um, well, so that you was did a, a lot of great fun. job. Larry was a lot of fun on the show. He, I remember um, he had a bicycle and he put me up on the handlebars of it uh, and we <laughs> rode all around the set and people <laughs> were very upset that he might crash that, and kill me and he might crash and hurt him, I'm sure was their number one worry. Uh, but he was just a little kid. He was so much fun. And uh, we went, he had an airplane too and, and a, a friend of mine was the same management company was also on the show. And we all went up in the plane the next day, um, flew all over California because I hadn't been to inland California yet. So we went, it was, oh, wow. he was just, he was so much fun. Everything, yes. everything was a joy to Larry Hagman. Every moment he, he would just, he was like a little kid in a candy store all the time. He, he, he loved people and he loved life and loved looking at things. Look, look how high we are. Look what's over there. Oh, look at this mm. cloud. You know, it's really fun to be around him. He had so much fun, like like you just uh, mentioned, and but but also a total professional. The quality of his work speaks for itself. Yeah. Um, and it, and Crystal, you, you know, with your uh, wonderful uh, skill as an acting coach, you, you know about these things in great detail. And one of the things that impresses me about Larry as an actor is that J.R. Ewing is a multidimensional character. I mean, he's mm-hmm. got a soft side that will yeah. you know, throw you for a curve. And he's very complex. And I, I just thought, wow, I mean, what a character for an actor to have all mm-hmm. those complexities. And, and you must obviously all these years later probably probably notice that even more than ever of just mm-hmm. how uh, complex his character was. But, but um, Crystal, did you know that your storyline was actually leading up to the cliffhanger of that season? I did. We were told that, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, you must have been very excited about that. I was. I was hoping <laughs> it would parlay into something bigger. <laughs> Always hoping for that. Um, now, did you have any uh, much interaction with Ian McShane by chance? Not really. He was on set, um, but we I didn't. Uh, our storylines didn't cross. I got to. I thought you were going to say with Linda, and I did get a lot of time to work with her and to follow her around and kind of get a chance to. Um, know her better, so that was fun, but yeah. <laughs> well, I really appreciate uh, uh, you sharing all of that, and before I ask you about some of your time on General Hospital, I, I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you, talk about uh, complexion, Crystal. I think you had an extra challenging role to the extent that you're marrying an actual another character, right? But you also yeah. want to bring something to the performance yourself. Um when you look back, do you remember like going, wow, this is going to be, I mean, I really need to think about this and, and kind of plan a, my approach or did you not have much of a issue with that? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I should have finished my sentence earlier. Once I had sort of gotten her walk and her voice uh, down, then I just looked at what Sue Ellen's values were. Why was she hurt? Why, why was she doing what she was doing that would hurt Larry? Ah, and, there you go. Or JR, rather. And um, once I got into that, then I didn't worry about trying to mimic what she did. Um, I just let it be 
me if I spoke like this, if I walked like this, if I felt this way. And um, I did some personalization uh, work where I imagined um, the circumstances that she went through uh-huh. uh, with uh, with my own, at the time, my fiancé. Um, so I, I was see. just imagining, like, if he had done these things to me, how would I feel? How, what would that feel like? Mm. And if I had wanted what she wanted. So that's how I approached it. But, yeah, I had to let go of trying to do what Linda did, and, and I didn't want to mimic her. And it is a fine line you walk. You walk. Wow. Well, um, thanks for sharing your, your Dallas memories with me. I really appreciate it. And Crystal, I noticed a connection to what you mentioned earlier on in the interview by, by what yeah. you just said. I mean, that's, that's just a, a, a prime example right there about creating a character and the challenges that can go along with it. So if we move to um, daytime television, uh, mm. I'm sure you're aware, Crystal, I have a lot of respect and admiration for the actors that work on daytime. I know it's a lot lot of hard work. Uh, It's definitely going to test your memorization skills. But I have to tell you, Crystal, before I ask you about about your time on General Hospital, uh, when I first arrived to LA, and I don't know if this will surprise you, but it did surprise someone that we both know, which I'll bring up in just a moment. And that is, my goal was actually to work on a daytime television show. Like, that was my top Goal. I mean, don't get me really? wrong. Film and prime time, yes. But my goal was to work, and, and more specifically, a Bill Bell production. That's where I huh. discovered the love for daytime. And um, a, a new friend of mine, Michael Maloney, which I know oh, that you know who yes. Michael is. And Thank we you. had lunch shortly after I got out there, and he said something I've always remembered. He said, Stephen... If you ever do get a part on a daytime show, I want you to promise to let me do your interview first because I'm just not used to actors coming out here with with that goal. And I, I, mm. I, I've always appreciated what he said. And he's, of course, a very talented and wonderful person and, and been, been and very writer. supportive. So mm-hmm. I wanted to share that with you. And one of the first things I mm. did was get an acting coach who specialized in soap operas, Bonnie Ford. And, and, okay. and, and I learned so much. But now for you, uh, uh, what was the most challenging aspect for you as an actress all those years on General Hospital? Um, when I first got on the show, Gloria Monty had come back and the new she talked um, Tony Geary into coming back. And I, he, had, he had come back temporarily with Jeannie Francis and they were doing the Luke and Laura thing. So it was trying to get so back on the map, particularly General Hospital, back on the map because the demographics or whatever were were the ratings were going down. So they, it was sort of a stunt, and they brought Gloria Monty back. And then Tony didn't want to play um, Luke anymore, and it was supposed to be a temporary thing. But Gloria wanted to continue on, and she felt. I don't know, there was some links to it. So she talked him into becoming Bill, Luke's twin cousin. Now, why you would have a twin cousin, but... So they permed up his hair, and and so then he needed a love interest. And it was interesting because Gloria had a very specific vision for what she wanted out of Julia, and it came from her, like... it was definitely her vision, and I think it would have been very much 
had she been uh, my age uh, and meeting him, whatever, I think it would be the way she fell in love with someone, the way she would be. They, she made Julia very much off of herself, a businesswoman, um, how she saw herself with a single sister, and I ended up having a sister on the show. And so it was lovely because she had such a clear vision, but what was hard was there was no, she didn't want any deviation from that vision. <laughs> and things sometimes wouldn't hit me in the culture and the day, uh, the times, the same way they would hit her <laughs> as a woman <laughs> in her late 70s, uh, going back in her mind of how she was when she was young or how she felt now. I'm not sure which it was, but she had just very she spoke with a with almost a standard stage accent and she had a very classic way of approaching things so if you look at my first day on the show when i first appear there is a almost accent that i'm doing as julia barrett because this is what she envisioned and i we were not going home until i did it and the crew was exhausted <laughs> and they had been looking for this role for weeks and weeks because Gloria had an idea of what she wanted it to be and she couldn't find that in somebody, in anybody. And I listened to her, I took the direction and I did it. And then when I got to set, I was hoping to make it more of my own. And we had, they had shot around this character. So every scene that Julia was in, the entire episodes were finished for four or five episodes, except for all of Julia's scenes back to back. So the first week that I was there every single day I was on set every single moment I was in every single setup and every oh, single wow. scene so I had hundreds of pages that had to be memorized oh it yes. was the most challenging thing I have ever even imagined much less lived through and mm. I'm I nearly didn't live through it there was a lot of <laughs> wailing and gnashing of teeth I was I was challenged on so many levels, but then as, as I got my feet on my, on the ground, you know, as the months went on, Julia became more and more me and Gloria was uh, looser and looser uh, as the head writers and as the other, you know, as the network kind of said, what is that girl doing? What's that accent she has? What's <laughs> happening here? You know, I think <laughs> Gloria had to kind of loosen the reins a little bit and, and let me kind of find the character and, it, it was so much fun, but you asked for the, I don't know what you said, the biggest challenge and the most memorable thing that happened, and that was certainly those first that, days. You, wow, right away. <laughs> oh, oh wow. Well, they in. were lucky to have you because Thank you're just you. such a talented actress. And, and <laughs> you know, um, I, I, my knowledge of daytime is extensively more with the young and the restless and the bold and the beautiful, but I made sure. it a point to know and learn and study other shows because I felt it was important. And mm. anytime I watch clips of you, Crystal, I just want to keep watching because I just oh, enjoy your performance. Thank you so much. Well, I had lovely actors to work with. And, yes. uh, you know, a rising tide raises all ships. <laughs> well, you, you got to work with so many talented people over the years. Now, was, um, I mean, what was the reason behind leaving General Hospital? Was it because of uh, what you had described earlier about yeah. 
I wanted to have a baby and they did not want me to have a baby. They wanted me to, I was in three major storylines and they just really had no interest in making Julia pregnant. And we could have shot around it, but they just did not want to do that. And I was also, um, I had a pilot out and I also had some opportunities. I didn't end up booking any of those, um, pilots. I think two of them didn't even, the pilot didn't go, but, um, it was a combination of I had an, I had a pilot out, so I knew I could get out, and they were making it uh, challenging for me to get pregnant because um, of storyline. So it, rather than cause everybody heartache, I just decided to. And and I was uh, 35 too. I was older, so I knew I couldn't put in those kind of hours and stuff because I was going to have to be really careful. Um, I had had a few miscarriages, and so yeah, that's oh, that's why I left that. Well, very understandable, and and now look what you've gone on to accomplish. And and, and as you. we get ready to conclude here, Crystal, uh, I, I want to give you a chance to uh, let folks know about um, you know your workshops and classes and 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 how they can get information. Uh, I would like to first two things. One uh, is to mention that Crystal was also often seen in Atlanta, which is a booming place for film and television yeah. production, of course. But, Crystal, before I let you um, share all of that valuable information with the listeners, if you don't mind uh, me taking something uh, that you wrote on one of your social media pages, and let me tell mm-hmm. you something. It, at the end of it, the word truth comes to mind because you basically have described everything that this uh, uh, quotation that you have says. And it says, As an acting coach in L.A. since 1993, I am particularly skilled at accommodating actors' individual methods. And this is my favorite part. Clients value the way I guide them in utilizing their emotional, intellectual, and spiritual sensibilities to generate a character's life. And that's what you had to say. I just wanted to share that because it really inspired me. And that's one of the reasons why I can't wait to be in one of your classes one day. So why don't you go ahead and, and share the information, please? Well, you can take class with me virtually, you know, Stephen, because I offer a 12-series virtual class, master class where uh, you can take from anywhere and, um, and, and learn. And it's a very inexpensive, $25 a class, and it's just been very successful. People have been wow, loving it. I was not aware of this, actually. See there? So you got to go to crystalcarson.com and look, click on the classes, and you'll see that the virtual classes is offered. But I have an L.A. class um, this September. Uh, I usually do a six-week course in audition uh, technique for film and television. It's called Auditioning by Heart, and that one will begin September 20th and go through October 25th, so six weeks from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Um, at 13-437-13437 Ventura Boulevard <laughs> in Sherman Oaks. And I will be very soon, in a couple weeks, in Atlanta. Um, I have a couple of courses that I'm doing privately for certain agencies. An agency will bring me in, and then I work with just their clients. But I have an open one at the University of Georgia, so we'll be at the university uh, auditorium for four days, uh, Jan- no, no, July, July 18th, 19th, 20th, and 21st. 
And that is reacting by heart followed by auditioning by heart, uh, the three-day intensive. So you have the first day reacting by heart. Um, it's an exercise that blows people's minds and really changes the paradigm from which they approach auditions from going forward. And then you apply what we learned in that to the three days. And each day I give you a different material, different genre uh, of sides. And you play a different character, but you play the same character that every other person in class plays. And we put you all on tape. And then when we do the playback, we talk about each moment in that scene and what makes this moment strong or weak? What are the homework pieces that this character, that this actor clearly did and what did they skip? And as you move through each actor, you see how, wow, that was a strong opening beat, but the next guy was also a strong opening beat. Wait, and the next guy was all, and they were all three different, completely 100% a different idea of how this scene started from three different people and they all worked. So there's not one right way. There's connected into the story and into the character and not connected into the story and into the character. And you could watch two actors do the same. Let's stick to the thing and say same opening beat. One of them does it because they think this is a good opening beat. One of them does it because I need to get my mother's attention. And you can see one of them is showing me what they would do if they needed their mother's attention the other one's trying to get their mother's attention. And it becomes very clear the difference between acting and schmacting, or what you said earlier. How did you put it? Pretending and acting. Uh, yes, pretending and acting. I, I, I let folks know that that's the viewpoint I take, that there is a difference. Absolutely. And people often don't know the difference until it is right there in their face. And when you watch 12 actors all do the same material, you start to have a big insight into what makes a good audition. And that's what we do the first day. And then the next day you come back with a, a second genre. Maybe the first day we did uh, soap opera. And the next day we'll, I, I picked that for you. And the next day maybe we'll do Thank procedural. You. and then uh, Or the last day a rom-com or something like that. So you learn then, how do, what's the difference in these genres when I'm approaching the material? How do I keep it human but keep it within the genre that this piece is? And uh, it's awesome. It's such a fun, eye-opening class, and I really get to watch people live into their potential. People have a tendency, actors have a tendency to approach auditioning differently than they do acting. They say, hey, yeah, uh, you know, if I had this role, of course I would go figure out you know, in the story, in the uh, in the role I just booked, I'm going to have to divorce my husband. So, of course, I'm going to go back and fall in love with him again. Remember the day that he proposed and all the things why I love him so that when I have this argument where we decide to divorce, it's not one note. It's not just, I hate, hate, hate. It has this pain in it from uh, all the hopes and dreams I have being dashed as I hate him in this moment and the memories of what was possible and, and what I first saw and all those nuances show up. Of course I'll do that if I booked a part, but no, you have to do that. If you're going to audition for the part, there's no difference between auditioning and booking a role. It's not like a job interview where you show up and talk about here are my credits and here are the people I've worked with before. And yeah, this is my training. No one cares about any of that. You got to show up and you're the, guy in the story or you're not 
So you've got to go do the job, not interview for the job. And I think a lot of us actors forget that. Wow. This course is for treasure trove <laughs> of information crystal. You just wait. It takes me four days to say it all, but once I do, you really leave <laughs> well, with something. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll keep that in mind. I'll, I'll be okay. patient that it may take a, a few hours or days, but that's fine. <laughs> I, I, I have complete confidence that you're going to say so much that's profound. And Crystal, I must say, what, what you're making me think of as an actor, and I'm sure for many folks out there, but if you don't mind me just bringing it up, is that looking at a script, whatever it is, what, whatever, for whatever reason, class, audition, mm-hmm. performance, you've um, reminded me that it's, it, it's much, much more than just memorizing lines. Mm-hmm. It's, what's, mm-hmm. it's the life of the lines. It, it, that's just mm-hmm. the doorway to the character. And, mm-hmm. and what you're saying is um, uh, so clear to me. And, you know, obviously, Crystal, you're like the perfect coach for me because every time you say something about acting, I'm just totally getting it. And um, so uh, I'm sure, no wonder so many people speak so highly of you as a coach. Uh, thank you so much for saying that. And I love working with you and chatting with you because it's, I get to save my breath. You already know it. You've already primed your audience for it. And <laughs> clearly you get it. Well, I enjoy doing research. I think it's very, very important. And um, well, thank you for saying that. That really uh, is appreciated. And well, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for such a wonderful visit. And I'm so sorry we didn't uh, cross paths years ago in L.A., but I'll tell you what, I'm very grateful for today's encounter with you. Well, I really appreciate you asking me on. You've done a great job of hosting this. Your questions were so good and you understand me and you listen so nicely and this has just been a pleasure i've done these things before and sometimes they're awkward and this wasn't at all so thank you you're most welcome and uh, i want to wish you the best thank you send host stephen brittingham your comments and questions to hollywood and beyond show at gmail.com that is hollywood and beyond show at gmail.com Stephen looks forward to hearing from you soon.